0: Man, Good morning. Good morning. It's good to see you all here. i um, really glad to, to see you, to have you all with here. As um, Jared said, we are Redemption Church. We're one church in multiple congregations throughout Arizona, and um, we're about five months into this thing, so we know exactly what we're doing. And, um, and again, the new kids on the block, not the band um, or the group, Like three people left. So that shows the age demographic of our church here. So that's cool. Um, So again, my name is Dave, just by way of introduction. If you've never heard me preach or um, I've never met you, I have a stutter. So just so you know what's what's happening, it'll kind of come in and out. So just want to make sure that you all know what that is. Um, I also have a bit of a raspy thing going on this morning, which I always think is cruel. I'm like, I stutter. I shouldn't have anything else with my voice ever go on, but it still happens. Um, Also, just to be real up here, real up front, um, I had a bit of anxiety walking up here because I didn't know whether or not my notes and my Bible would be up here. I didn't know if I left them up here or if they were somewhere else out there. So. Um, thankfully they're here, and so that's good. Um, But that does lead me to, I want to introduce you to this, this podium. Uh, uh, Some people, if you've been coming here, you know that we have a couple new things up here, which is just really exciting. Um, Justin Morrow, who's a a member here at Redemption Tucson, um, built this podium and some new giving boxes and a couple other people, um, Annie and Peter Weinman and Stephen Collins built this cross and some other things. So there's just been a, it's just cool that as a young church, some of you know, we started with like 19 adults at my house in our backyard and it's just fun to see the ownership and the involvement for us together as the church, really just doing some um, cool things. And um, let me introduce also, you see those, the the words there, Mark, this is a really exciting day. Um, One, we get to celebrate some back. Some people are getting baptized, which we'll explain throughout our time here together, and we'll see that. And also, um, for the last five months, we've kind of gone in and out of some different short like sermon series. We have about four or five weeks long each time. We've looked at some things that have really laid the foundation for who we are as a church, for what we believe. We say some things. We say all of life is all for Jesus, and we've really spent about five months in different contexts looking at what that means and how we live that out in the context of everyday life, but now I'm really excited we get to dive into a book of the Bible. We're going to be in Mark for the foreseeable future. Just just, uh, so you know where we'll be, we're going to be in Mark straight up till Easter, then we'll take a one-week break and have kind of a special Easter service, and then we'll get right back into Mark and go through on into the summer. We might take a short break over the summer, and we'll get back in it. So we're going to really take our time and really roll our sleeves up and get into um, the gospel according to Mark. And just um, even as I say that, you might notice I we're intentional to say the gospel according to Mark. You may know there's um, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which are sometimes referred to as the Gospels. And, um, but, but let's be clear, there's one Gospel. The word Gospel means good news. And there is one message of good news, and we're going to really see that just put out there, um, really pointedly proclaimed as we start this. Um, this book of Mark, but but so we're not gonna like you know call each other out and be like, oh, you said the Gospel of Mark, and there's only one Gospel. We're not gonna do that. I, I say that from up here, but so we know in our heart, in our understanding, that we are looking at um, the Gospel according to Mark, um, and, and I'll explain some more about why that's important for us. But first, before we just get into it, um, I want to ask you if you don't have a Bible with you today, Um, if you'll go ahead and hold your hand up high, Um, we have some and we want to make sure everybody has a Bible to just look along with us. If you don't own one, or um, let me say, if you don't own one that you can understand the language and keep this, please, it's our gift to you. And also, I'm really excited to say we have a couple in Spanish as well, so uh, si necesitas una Biblia en Español, no... and that's about as far as I can go with that. But um, we say we're a church of the city of Tucson and a significant number of the people that we want to love and serve and introduce to um, Jesus um, speaks Spanish. And we want to make sure that people can engage with God's word in their heart language. So if you need it in Spanish, please just say I'd like it in Spanish, please, or um, say something along those lines. And if you if we run out and you need one, let us know. But anyway, that's that's ex- exciting for us as well. So guys, we've got a lot to do. As you can tell, I'm I'm amped. Um, I'm excited just to get into this together. So let me pray as we really intentionally enter into our time of looking at the Bible, looking at, at God's word. We do believe that um, that, that as the the Bible itself says um, the Word of God is profitable for teaching and for reproof and for all of life. And elsewhere it says um, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the Word of our God endures forever. So we come and we submit ourselves to the truth of Scripture if you're a follower of Jesus. And I want to say, if you're not, if you wouldn't call yourself a Christian or you're, you're not sure what you do with this book or what you do with Jesus... I'm really glad you're here, and I really um, want to encourage you. This is a place, a safe place to come to engage your mind and to ask hard questions. That's all the more why I would say, ask for a Bible, right? Question notes in the margin and ask questions and engage. And so for all of us, though, let me pray, because I expect that um, we will need to respond in some way to uh, the truth that we will hear presented um, through God's Word. So let me pray now for us as we, as we go. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for everyone who's here today to to celebrate, Lord. I know there are friends and family and people to see others who are being baptized, Lord. I, I do trust that all of us. You say that um, the word of God does not return void, and, and you say that faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ, and so. Um, I trust, I'm expectant that for all of us here as we hear the good news of Jesus presented, um, I pray that I would get out of the way that, Lord, that you would speak and that that our hearts and our ears and our minds would be engaged and that we would respond rightly um, to you and to what we will hear. So uh, thank you and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's just get right after it. Let's start, um, if you will, turn with me. To Mark, chapter one, verse one. Here we go. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Okay, let's um, let's pause right there. Like at this rate, it's going to take twenty years. We'll get through Mark. So, um, no, we're gonna. I'm going to spend some more time here because the beginning of our time, we need to really um, understand what's happening. Because our tendency today, whether as Christians or as non-Christians or whatever, our tendency approaching spirituality or Christianity is to read and just go on and kind of read, okay, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ and of God as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, behold, I said, and we look for little nuggets. We're just saying, okay, read, 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 oh, that, maybe that, I'll underline. And we look for like 10 easy steps to... uh, better Christianity or, you know, five ways to get, you know, ripped abs and a better, you know, faith. It's like that's our tendency in life, right, is to look for the little magic pill that will invigorate us and just give us, you know, a new easy way. But um, the way this works is there is a particular point, and this is a particular book mark written to a particular audience and so what we have we don't just have um someone following Jesus around with a camcorder just saying like okay this happened and then he did this and then this happened and then this happened and we just kind of read along or again it's not just a little um book of like little helpful tips that we take on and improve our lives in some capacity What what is happening here, that very first verse, is a bold proclamation that the original audience, their ears would have been perked up and they would have thought, okay, I need to listen in because something is being said here that speaks directly into my life. Because these people, and I assume all of us in this room, are asking some questions. We're saying, is there any hope? We're asking questions. What is my purpose in this life? What do I, how do I make sense of life? What do I do with my current situation? What do I do with this? Um, I'm waiting. Waiting for something. I think all of us are waiting for whatever it might be. The perfect spouse. The perfect job. The perfect salary. The perfect life stage. Whatever it might be. We're waiting and we're wondering. Um, what do we do with our lives, what is where can hope be found? Is there a foundation I can build upon? These people were asking that same question in a very significant way. They had been waiting for a long time, wondering, what do I do in my current situation? And the language, the very beginning, says what? The beginning of the gospel. As I said, that word gospel means good news. The good news of Jesus Christ Most specifically, the Son of God. That language in the beginning, you might know this if you've ever read the Bible in some capacity. What are the very first words in the Bible? In Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, the very first words say what? In the beginning. In the beginning, God. That is the best news for us, is the presentation of God. Who is God? His character. And it walks through. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God said, let there be light. God God created all things. And then God said, let us make man in our image. So our identity, who we are individually and together as people, is directly related to in the beginning, God. And He created us to relationally relate with Him perfectly, to live all of life as the image of God. The, the big theological term is the Imago Dei. To live life as the image of God in every way in how we see ourselves and how we treat other human beings and how we function. To live as the image of God. That is good news. But then shortly after, the bad news came. What the Bible refers to is Sin. Or the fall. And essentially what happened is we said, "God, um, I don't know that it's good news that you are who you say you are, and that we live in your image and reflect you." So we're going to turn our back. That's essentially what sin is is choosing not God other than God. And so we turn from God and we walk away, and what happens? the image of God is distorted, how we see ourselves, how we see one another. We only have to look in our city around us, right? There are lots of people that aren't treated by other human beings as the image of God. And there's brokenness all around us. And so that's really bad news. And as I said, whether we recognize it or not, we're asking this question, what do we do? What, how do we make sense of this place we're in? So the author starts out very specifically, the other accounts... That's amazing. Um, I'll explain that in a second. Some cough drops just fell right there. Um, My wife, loving wife, put some cough drops up there for me, and I didn't see it. And so uh, isn't that a picture of marriage? Um, (laughs) I missed it. Sorry, but thank you for that. Um, So um, God provides cough drops. And most specifically here, God provides the answer. The good news to our position individually of being separated from God and corporately, societally, in the world around us together, God promises to make new what has been broken. Throughout the entire Old Testament, that has been promised. So as we dive into this, Mark, a sermon is being preached, not just today, but this whole letter. There's a main point. And the point that's being communicated is that God's promise from the very beginning, from the point that we turned our backs on Him and entered into a world of broken image bearers of God, He promised to make new what has been broken. To restore you and me individually, personally in our relationship with God, and interpersonally in our relationships with one another, and societally in our relationship as a people. God promised to make new what has been broken. And this is the victorious announcement, like the announcement of a king. He makes it clear from the very beginning. He says, the point of this is this. There is good news and that good news focuses on, centers upon the person and work and authority of Jesus. He's the son of God. And Mark doesn't do what some of the other accounts do. He doesn't start out with the Christmas story. He wants to make it expressly clear to us, the audience, the readers. The main point of this is that Jesus is God the Son, and he's come to reveal and bring in the good news. But but here's a secret. Let me let you in on something. You and I, as the reader, are the only humans who will know that, who will get that. As we read through Mark, his followers, his people, his own family members don't get it. Nobody understands that the good news is that Jesus is God the Son come to make new what has been broken and to usher in his kingdom and to restore his people. People don't get it. And they're constantly asking, well, what do we do about this? What do we do about this broken reality in our lives? And it's constantly reiterated. Look to Jesus. He is the answer. And it's not until the very end in chapter 15 where one of the Roman guards who nails Jesus to the cross finally gets it and says, Aha. He says, truly, this was the son of God. And he understands what you and I hear from the very beginning. The main point is Jesus. He's come to usher in his kingdom and to restore us and to restore all that has been broken. So now pick up with me in verse 2 and we'll continue on. So that point has been made from the very beginning and then it goes on. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way the voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make His paths straight. It's, 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 it's pointed out right away. This isn't new. This isn't some new, you know, modern, first century idea. This has been the story all along. What is referred to as the story of God, or the true story of the universe. That's been told from the very beginning that we talked about. God created us with a purpose and we turned away from Him. And this story has been promised and has been unfolding throughout history, and the time has finally come. And so He quotes Isaiah, the prophet from the Old Testament. This has been promised. This isn't just some happen chance. Jesus has been proclaimed, and you've been promised this good news. From afar and here it is. It's finally here. And some language is used there intentionally. It says prepare the way. Jesus in another place in John chapter 14 verse 6. Says very clearly. I am the way. The truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. In fact the early days of Christianity it was referred to as the way. Other people called Christianity, they said, oh, he's, that person is a part of the way or a member of the way. And then the term Christian was even used as kind of a joking negative thing. It means like a little Christ. And they're like, oh, these, you know, Christians, these little Christs. But, but the idea of following Jesus was not, again, ten easy steps or another little spiritual guru that we're going on our lives as we are, and thinking, what's going to inform, what are we going to take from here and take from there, and what's going to inform my life? And I know that's the way a lot of us live, but, but it's very clearly, no, there's not multiple ways, there's not, Jesus isn't here to just kind of fit on a wristband or a bumper sticker and just be a part of informing how we live. He's the way. He makes it clear that that following Him is, 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 is a whole life commitment and surrender. And this has been promised all along, that God created us, not just, oh yeah, to be Christians and then do things, but how we function in our work, in our job, in our families, in our relationships, in our marriages, as employers and employees, that everything about who we are relates to how we reflect God in His image apart from Jesus, our natural state is broken, broken image bearers of God. And so Jesus comes to bring about the way of restoration in all of life through following him. And this has been the promise all along. And then pick up with me as we continue on here. It introduces John. John's a character. So let's look in verse four. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. So um, John, and then let me just read there because John, we we get caught up in this next verse, verse 6. Now John was closed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And and so we're like, what? Who is this character? What's going on? Um first of all, John, this might be a little bit crazy. He wasn't that abnormal of a character, right? We just picture this crazy guy with wild hair in, you know, other animal skins and he's got a belt on, he's eating bugs and he's out there and he's yelling stuff and it's like, okay, and then somehow Jesus shows up on the scene. Well, let me just introduce John briefly. He's, um, he's actually Jesus' cousin. And this wasn't terribly abnormal for a teacher to be out in the wilderness proclaiming a message. This is actually kind of a common thing. And John wasn't that abnormal. And they dressed like that and they ate that way because that was the way they did it. That was the way to represent that they are in the wilderness. And I don't have time for this too much, but this is, um, if you know some of the story of God, as as we've talked about it a, a, a little bit, throughout the entire history of humanity, God has called people back from our decision to choose not God. And physically and metaphorically, the wilderness is a place that is referred to as living life apart from God. Wondering, like you and me, what, what is, how do I make sense of this? What do I do with this life? And wandering, what, walking through life and struggling and considering, what do I do with this? How do I make sense of who I am and who others are and, uh, I, in this broken life that I'm in? And so there's a picture of people going out to the wilderness and hearing a message. And the message that John the Baptist was preaching was, repent, repent. In his context, that word repent means simply turn back to God. It means confess your sin. It means confess the fact that you have turned away from God and then come out into the wilderness and recognize that's where you've been spiritually, wandering around individually and as a people, humanity wandering in the wilderness together. And then repent, turn back to God and, and recognize I have been sinful. And then they went through this process of being baptized. And as John was baptizing, it was, it was a symbol or a picture of what was to come. He was baptizing people that they would recognize their need for God to wash them clean. But, but they didn't know what the answer to the problem would be. They didn't know fully the means that God would use to restore them relationally to himself. So John's out there baptizing people and saying, confess your sin, turn back to God. You've sinned and God has promised to make a way straight um, to restore you. But they didn't know how he would do that. And so they would repent and confess their sins and be baptized. And it would show that they trusted that God would in some way make things right. But then John says, this is not the end of the story. The good news isn't here yet. He says, but but, but there's, there's someone coming. And, and the people are, are calling out like you and me. There's got to be, when is the hope going to come? When is the good news going to be revealed? And then in verse 7, he says, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. He's, he's recognizing that one greater than him is coming. Even that language of stooping down to untie a sandal, John was a Jewish man, Jewish people would not mess with other people's sandals. That's a picture that Jesus in the future would actually untie people's sandals, his followers, and wash their feet. So even that, the author of this is is getting us prepared for um, something different. And John even, as he is preparing people for the pronouncement of jesus the good news of jesus he says don't look at me let me get out of the way i'm not that special it's all about jesus and i said this to us before here as a church if you ever put me on a pedestal um take me off it and, and and um and I know that could be hard to do to look past me, my superior physical stature, my eloquent speech. Right? Just wait. That's not. Um, God has blessed you with a pastor who's short and has a stutter and is pretty easy not to put on a pedestal. But we still are prone to choose not God and to try to replace God and find some other means of finding good news. And John, rightly, like any pastor, any preacher, any podcast you listen to any place you 're in, you um, our tendency is to is to elevate others, and what we need to do is look directly to jesus and that 's what John is saying is there 's good news he 's right here it 's coming the good news is Jesus look to jesus don 't look to the right or to the left don 't be enamored with other people. The solution to our problem is Jesus. And then he gives more good news. In verse 8, he says this, I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John's baptism has been with water. As I mentioned earlier, it was a way of people going and recognizing that God would um, make new what has been broken in some way, but they didn't know how that would happen. But he's saying now, You won't just repent and confess your sins and turn to God and trust that God is faithful but not know how He will meet your need. Now you know Jesus will come and through faith in Him, by putting your trust in Him, God will send the Holy Spirit to seal you, the language is used, to um, empower you, to inform your understanding And I trust that even as I preach that my language, my crafting of a sermon, my interaction with you is not going to do anything. If not for the work of God, the Holy Spirit, enlightening our hearts. The language is used that he turns hearts of stone to hearts of flesh. that, That he melts away bitterness and brokenness and informs our lives and enables us to rightly see Jesus and rightly respond to Jesus. Jesus would come and give a baptism of the Holy Spirit. And as I said, because I think this is our tendency in here, I just want to camp out for a moment on our tendency to elevate others and our tendency in life to look for kind of a CEO-type model and and the coming of the kingdom of Jesus in all these ways. And and there's, there's a theme throughout Mark that is one of the leader humbling himself. In fact, in Mark um, chapter 10, verses 42 and 43, Jesus himself, I'm going to kind of g- jump ahead just for a second. Jesus himself explains the way of following him is really different from what you and I might expect, right? We expect like the the, 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 the perfect white smile and the, again, the, the dapper person and even maybe a far off distant leader. But Jesus says, But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man, that's Jesus, came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. The way of Jesus... The call to respond to Him and to trust Him is not to um, look for the best-looking and the greatest and the, the high and mighty, far and distant leader. But in Jesus, we see none other than God Himself humbling Himself to restore what has been broken, to bring the good news in an unpredictable way, to give of Himself, and and we see that in this next verse picking up as we continue in verse 9 in those days Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan Jesus chose to be baptized that some of you might be asking that question. Why was Jesus baptized? He, did he have sin? Again, others were going out into the wilderness to recognize. I have been wandering in the wilderness. I have turned my back on God. I have chosen sin. Personally, I have lived amongst a people where our life is consumed by sin, by choosing not God, by trying to replace God with ourselves. That's been our life. So I'm going to be baptized to recognize my need to be made clean. But did Jesus need to be made clean? No. Jesus is God the Son. He never sinned. He was without sin. He would later offer His life up on the cross. And He would be able to do that because He was without sin. He could take your and my place in the guilt debt that we have accrued in our lives He would take that on Himself. So why was He baptized? It's because Jesus makes it clear, abundantly clear, that He is God Most High and God Near. The word Emmanuel, we sing it around Christmas time, is God with us. Emmanuel. Jesus is the clearest picture of God with us. And I know a lot of us are wondering... Who is God? How does he relate to my life? Is he up there throwing lightning bolts? Does he have bigger fish to fry? He doesn't really care about me. He doesn't really care about us. We're in Tucson. I'm in, you know, my little life, my little story. Does God, the God who in the beginning there was God, there was nothing else but God, and all things were made through him and for him, does he really care? This week I was given a picture of this. As a girl, I got to meet with um, a couple who are a part of our church have introduced me to a family who's gone through a terrible tragedy. Um, a girl, a young girl, who's 15 years old, um, ha- was tragically injured and had something happen to her that was not her fault. And um, some other people, some other... Um, absent-minded adults that should be caring for another image-bearer of God weren't treating her the way she should be treated, and she was subjected to injury and is in the hospital. Fifteen-year-old girl. Her life was on the upward swing. It was looking like things were coming together, and I got to go and meet with her and sit with her in the hospital. And and, and just ask her, you know, and and, and recognize, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what this feels like. I don't know what you've experienced. And, And as, thankfully, she felt the freedom to just be honest and to share with tears streaming down her face and her mom's face. She said, I don't know, why would God do this? Why would God allow this? If God is God, if he's powerful, why would he let this happen to me? And then as she continued to feel the freedom to ask the hard questions, which too often we as adults don't give ourselves that freedom, and I hope this is a place where we can do that, God can handle it. We can come before his word and say, why? And the most pointed question that she asked is, God, do you even care? And then she kind of was wrestling with herself and even said, there's so many bigger things in the world. Does he even, should I even pray? Does he really care? And I got to say, I don't know the answer to a lot of your questions. I can sympathize with you, but I can't empathize. I've never been where you are. But, but I can pray with you. And the best thing I can do, the only thing I can do, is to point you to Jesus Who we see a God who's not far off, but a God who is near? We see a God who has chosen to come, to enter into our filth, to enter into our mess, to enter into our lives, to enter into our world that is defined by not God, that is defined by sin, that we have chosen to um, turn our backs on God and He doesn't sit back and throw lightning bolts or throw little anecdotes to our problems. He chose to come... To become one of us. Jesus is referred to as the God-man. Fully God and fully man. God with us. And in his baptism we see that Jesus is near. And as we walk through this story we'll be reminded and we have this cross here to remind us. We look no further than that to see God indeed cares. He is close. In Romans, we hear that God demonstrates his love for us, his love for you, and that while we're yet sinners, enemies of God, Christ died for us. We see the picture of his love and his presence and his nearness. And then in verse 11, we wrap up this time and we see that Jesus isn't just man. He's not just a good man. He's not just a good moral Um, figure that we can follow and look up to. Who is Jesus? We saw it in the very beginning, right? Verse 1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And then as Jesus comes out of the water, what happens? And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. Jesus and His identity and His work and what He's doing is the best news you and I could ever hope to hear. Jesus, God the Son, who would give His life on the cross, is none other than God Himself, the Son of God. And the Father makes it abundantly clear, in you I am well pleased. And so the message of good news that our lives can be shaped around, that I'm calling us right now today to respond to, Is it by identity with Jesus, by being little Christs, by being Christians, by surrendering and repenting, not just a repentance of saying, yeah, God's perfect. Nobody else is perfect. I've sinned. Um, I don't know what the answer is. I don't know what the way is. I don't know the solution. We see the solution is Jesus. God the Son who's come to usher in His kingdom, to make new what has been broken, and to restore you and me back to our relationship that God has created us for. So that through faith in Jesus, by placing your trust in Him and saying, I need you to make new what has been broken. I need you to restore me to the Father. Through faith in Him, you and I here. In you I am well pleased my son, my daughter. Though we are naturally enemies of God by faith in Jesus, we can become children of God. That's the best news we could ever hear. And it's not just an ethereal spiritual news. This is good news that God has come to make all things new. Revelation says that, that Jesus on his throne says, Behold, I'm making all things new. So you and me as the imago Dei, as the image bearers of God, and how we function, and how we look at ourselves in the mirror, and how we live when no one else is around, and how we treat other human beings, and how we relate to one another, and how we live in all of life. It is as restored children of God, forgiven of our sin, forgiven of our choice of turning away from God, Through Jesus. And so as we heard earlier, there's a baptismal or a horse trough I hear some people use that for. Um, As people are being baptized, let me just explain what's happening as we now transition and respond. All of us, I hope, can respond in some way. What will happen is the people who are being baptized, nothing is saving about being baptized. It's not like you were not a Christian and now you're baptized and now you are a Christian. Um, Being a Christian is only being a follower of Jesus by again repenting and turning to God through faith in Jesus. It's as simple as saying, Jesus, I trust that you are God the Son and that you have come and you've given your life for me. That I need a solution, and you are that solution. To restored relationship with God, to restored life. I give my life to you. All of life is all for Jesus. And I'll ask the people who are being baptized, I'll say, do you believe these things? And they will say, I do. And then I'll say, it's my incredible honor to now baptize you in the name of Jesus. Dead to sin and raised again in newness of life. It's a picture, a symbol That through faith in Jesus, the life of sin has been put to death. And through faith in him, you are raised again in newness of life, given a new heart, given new ambitions, given new purpose, given new relationship to God as our heavenly father, a new relationship to one another, a new relationship to all of life as a follower of Jesus. So as we close and respond, I want to ask you a couple things. If you're here and you've never trusted Jesus, you've never put your faith in him, and this is the first time perhaps you're hearing it, or perhaps the the first time it's making sense, which I believe is nothing short of a miracle that God would speak to us through his word, even through broken microphones, that he would speak to you and call you to respond to him in faith. Will you respond to Him by placing your trust in Jesus and saying, I have turned away from you, but now I repent. I turn to you through faith in Jesus. Will you do that today? Perhaps you've heard these things and you have questions. You have more questions. Again, I'm so glad you're here and I encourage you to engage, to enter in, to write questions, to interact, to talk, to um, write down, fill out a connection card. You're not going to scare us or offend us. I want you to put down what you're thinking. I want to get together with you for um, coffee or some drink and get to know and talk to you and, and dialogue together. There's freedom, like that girl in the hospital room, to ask these questions, and I'm confident that I don't have the answers, but Jesus is the answer, and we'll just look at him and talk about how that works. Perhaps you are a follower of Jesus, and you have trusted Christ, and you've never been baptized I want to invite you today to publicly declare, I am a follower of Jesus and I have been made clean through nothing I could do, but solely through Jesus, the good news of God, the son coming to usher in his kingdom and to make new what has been broken, to restore me relationally to God and to others. So for all of us right now, this is going to be a time where we respond. I'm going to close in prayer. Jared's going to come back up and he's going to lead us through our time of response. And I want to challenge and invite all of us as we sing, as we watch baptism to consider how do you respond to the bold proclamation that the good news is here, it has been revealed and it is revealed in Jesus who has come so that you might have life and have it fully through faith in Him. Let's pray. Lord God, again, we thank you for your word. I thank you for this time. I pray that we will celebrate. Lord, I pray for those who have questions here who are considering what to make of all this, what to do with you, Jesus. Um, Lord, I pray that this would be a time for all of us to simply consider what do I think about that? Is it right? Is it true? Do I have more questions? Am I more mad? Whatever it is, I know that we can come before you and simply respond. Lord, I pray there are people here who today are entering into a relationship with you by putting their faith in Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. That sounds so trite to even say thank you, but in our time now of response as we take communion, as we celebrate baptisms, we're saying thank you. As I get to baptize my older children today as a father and as a pastor and as a lost wanderer who has been rescued by your grace, I say thank you. Thank you for restoring all things and making all things new to the person and work and good news of Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.